Thanks, Jeff. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So good. I know daylight savings time is brutal. I drew the short straw today, so I get to be with you on an hour less sleep, but my joy. Hey, um, my name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we had the privilege of going to uh, one of our school auctions. And there's, let me just tell you, there's something really incredible about an elementary school auction, you know? It's all these elementary school parents, and it's like the one time you're like, oh, remember before kids? You kind of have this like fun time. And we did. We had a great time. It's one of the highlights of our year. And, uh, but we, we chinsed out. We didn't get the VIP table to sit with people who we knew we were going to sit with. Instead, we chinsed out and we sat in general seating, right? So we're in the very back of the room with people we don't know. And my wife, you know, she, she was smart. She grabbed two people who also were cheap and sat next to her, her friends. And so she's visiting with them and talking with them. They're having a great time brand new couple comes and sits right next to me. And you know, like how socially I am. I'm like, oh, geez, this is going to be brutal because you're sitting down for dinner an hour and a half with people that you don't even know. And uh, so I, I'm talking with this guy, and this guy is pretty bubbly and kind of nice. And so he, he leads with, so what do you do? I'm like, no, like, this is going to be good. And so I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And of course, it kind of got sideways for like 15, 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, gosh, how are we going to... I'm sitting down, I got another 45 minutes with this guy. And so I'm, I'm fishing, I'm fishing, I'm fishing, trying to find something. And all of a sudden, I hit it. This guy is into vinyl records. Now, I don't know if any of you guys are into vinyl records. This guy would put you to shame. He is into vinyl records. Now, I'm not, I like music. I like country music. I like Spotify, cheap, doesn't even quality music, doesn't even matter. That's where I'm at, okay? But this guy, what he loves is vinyl. He has 650 uh, albums. He, uh, he geeks out on all of these, like, um, all the parts and the components and it's analog and whatever, he's, you know, he's geeking out. I'm like, yeah, tell me more. So we're going to talk about my job. And he's telling me, he's telling me. And uh, it turns out he like goes on blogs and he studies and he's like, I have like five or six records of the same record. And now I'm like, okay, now it's kind of weird. What's that all about? He's like, no, you don't get it. Like if a record's pressed here, it sounds different than if it's pressed here. Or if, if it's pressed early on versus if it's pressed later, I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I'm just telling me more. And so I got through the whole dinner. He's, he was incredibly interesting and, uh, and it was wild. This guy knew everything. I didn't even know the questions to ask about vinyl. I thought it was a record. I mean, my first record was Duran Duran, Hungry Like a Wolf in 84. I'm like, this is my, I, I'm with you. But apparently there's a whole new world. But what's interesting is this guy knew his stuff. He studied and studied and studied. And when we think of study, we think, here's my book. Here's the library. It's boring. I don't want to fail a test. That's how we kind of mentally think about studying. But the truth is, all of us have weird little mental hobbies that we just like get set off on, right? This guy, it's vinyl. Some of you guys, it's politics or sports or the Warriors or whatever. Like we have all these different things and you just like, you, you have like some hobby that you just geek out on. You, I can't wait for the new binding. And you're like, there's new bindings? I didn't even know, but it's your thing. And what's interesting is I love mental hobbies and we get after it, but those things at the end of the day are just hobbies. They, they leave us the same. We're still us. It doesn't matter how much sports talk you listen to, the Yorks are never going to call you and ask you if you should trade Kaepernick. That's not going to happen. You're never going to get that call. But I listen all the time. It's just an interesting hobby. Well, this morning we're talking about studying the scriptures. And the reason why we study the scriptures is because we actually want to know God. And God revealed himself in his word. And it actually takes work and it takes effort. It takes a lot of thought and insight and humility but the coolest thing is when we study God's word, what it does is it actually transforms us. 
different than sports talk. Sports talk kind of transforms us, but this really transforms us. And this is our last spiritual practice that we've been talking about. And we've defined it this way. Spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines are intentional ways of acting or living which set us before God so that the Holy Spirit can do his transforming work in us. They're intentional ways of acting or behaving um, or living which set us in front of the Holy Spirit. So we don't study scripture so God will like us. We don't learn about God so God's like, finally, you're such an idiot. You finally figured out. That's not like what God cares about. We study scripture because we want to put ourselves before God in such a way that he will change us and he will transform us. And so we study scripture. So this morning, we're going to take a little look at that. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can, on your phone, you can just Google search uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, the Bible in front of you, if you want to go old school, get a paper Bible, you turn to uh, page 1,108-ish, and uh, the Bible is where we start. Hebrews chapter 4, which is the big four, starting at little 12, verse 12. It says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, and nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is covered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Now, just a quick side note. We're experiencing a little technical difficulties. I had some incredible uh, life-changing images, which you're not going to be able to see, but you are going to need to see your Bible. So make sure you have your Bible uh, on your phone or the one in front of you so we can follow along. Okay, so it starts out like this. For the Word of God is alive and active. And the old King James said it was alive and powerful. And it's weird. Even in our culture, people who aren't even Christians, there's something about the Bible. It feels like spiritual, supernatural. You know, we uh, officials, they, pace, they put their hand on the Bible, and that, that way you know it's real. You know, they put your hand on the Bible, and now if you mess up, you're really in trouble. Art, when it was his first Sundays here as a preacher, he took the Bible and he threw it on the ground, and everyone freaked out. He almost got fired, like week one here at Marine Covenant Church. But we try to make the point, like, it's the God's Word, but yet, it's still, it's just paper, it's a book, there's nothing like, oh, spiritual about it. It's just a book. But it is spiritual, and it is powerful, but in a different sort of way. Um, a lot of times, like you, for some of you Harry Potter fans, there's this book of spells, you know, or potions, I guess. And in one of the movies, I'm sure there's a book about it too, but in the movies, he's going around looking, trying to find out this, this get a hold of this book of potions. And he gets a hold of this book of potions and it, was, and it was powerful and he could open it up. And because of that book, he could then do all this really cool stuff. And unfortunately, many of us think of the Bible that way. It's really weird. It's kind of complex. And so it feels spiritual, feels other. And so if we can just get it, if we can say the right prayer, the right thing, the right verse, then we're golden. But the truth is that that is not what we mean when we say the Bible. God's word is alive and it is active. God's word is alive and is active because it's the word of God. But it's the word of God in this way. In, first, in 2 Timothy, it says this, that all scripture is God's breathe. It is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful. But it's not useful for debates in science and history. It's useful for things of faith and practice. It's useful, and it, and it is proven true over generation, over generation, over generation to actually clarify who God is and who we are. I mean, the, I, I like Greek mythology and those poor Greeks. It was pretty incredible. But what happened is all of a sudden, once you climb high enough on Mount Olympus, you realize the gods don't live there. You take a satellite above the clouds, and you realize, no, there isn't Zeus who makes the lightning, right? All of a sudden, you're in big trouble, right? There's certain religions and certain ancient stories that kind of they lose some of their muster after some time because other, you have more data points. But scripture has been proven true over generation 
in every culture, in every context, over the entire world. It's incredible. And it is totally powerful. All right. Now, what's interesting is it's powerful, but unfortunately, it's powerful in a way that we don't necessarily expect. It goes on to say this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, unfortunately, because so many people have actually spent time just knowing a tiny bit of Scripture, thinking it's, tiny, it's powerful, they take this and they stop. Sharper than any double-edged sword. We love that the Bible's the sword. We more think of it as a hammer, but you know people who take the Bible, who take the Word of God, and they just club their in-laws with it. They club their neighbors with it. Maybe as, you're, as you were a kid, you had some like aunt who just crushed you with this thing, right? It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Yeah! That's great, but that's not what it's talking about. It's the worst kind of sword because the double-edged sword is not pointed at your neighbor. It's not pointed at your in-laws. It's not pointed at your aunt. It's pointed at you. It's a double-edged sword that penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The Word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart and nothing in all of creation is hidden from its sight. Ooh, that's not good news. The Word of God is a sword, and it cuts straight to who you are. Um, Snow White, uh, the movie Snow White, I'm sure there was a book too, but the movie was incredible enough for me. But um, the, the witch, right, she stands in front of the mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And she said this because she was hoping that the mirror would be like, you are. For an old witch, you're so beautiful, right? That's what she was hoping. But instead the mirror goes, it's true, you're old and beautiful. But there's a woman who's even fairer. Her rags and her poverty can't hide the fact that she is truly the fairest. And the witch freaks out, right? And then goes on this whole mission to kill her. And the brutal thing is, is that we are really the witch in the Snow White. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Think about the friends in your life. Think about the access that you give to people in your life. Think about your favorite verses of Scripture. Those are all things that help you know that you're the fairest in the land. You're the smartest. You're the most beautiful. You bring it the most. Those are the people that we surround ourselves with. Those are the scriptures that we surround ourselves with. But the truth is, the Word of God is the true mirror. And it says, you're not quite there yet. It's brutal. That's what the Word of God does. It shows up and it says, you're not quite there. And um, in James uh, chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who puts their face into the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I mean, it's obvious. You don't do that in your real world. You're like the most beautiful church of all time. You're so beautiful and well put together. I have like panic attacks on Saturday morning before I preach. I'm like, what am I going to wear? Oh, I'm too fat for that. And I'm like, oh, is my flight going to be down? Like, I freak out. It is so scary to have to stand up here and like present. And you guys all look beautiful, but we do. We all look in the mirror. Do I have food in my teeth? Is my hair okay? You know, like, does I got throw up on my shirt? Like, how would we figure it out? And the scripture says, that's what we do normally and the Word of God is a mirror. If you look into the Word of God and go, huh, and walk away, it's like, you're an idiot. You're walking around with your fly down. You're walking around with lettuce in your teeth. That's what you're doing spiritually if you look into the Word of God and don't do what it says. And here's the awful reality. I think most people are not Christians, not because of science, not because of politics, not because of a whole host of things that we say that we're not Christians for, 
because of our weird aunt who jacked us with the Bible. But we're not Christians. Most people are not Christians. And one of the reasons is the hardest thing about being a Christian for me is I don't want, and I don't think people want to stand up to a mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, what kind of garbage do I have? No one wants to do that. But at some point, we have to do that. There's this passage in Galatians. This is just one passage. Um, my favorite part of it is Galatians chapter 5. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the high schoolers love this part. Against such things, there's no law, no rules. Got your back. That is the good part of the Bible. So good. If you just go two verses before that, though, in verse 19, the fruit of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish, selfish ambition, um, dissensions, factions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And basically saying, you know what I'm talking about. The fruit of the flesh, when we get down to our base thing and just let it rip, we know it is ugly. And scripture helps us stand before the mirror and go, oh, is my life being shaped by my flesh or is it being shaped by my spirit? So the word of God is living and it is powerful, but it is a sword and it is a sword pointed straight at us. And here's where it gets even worse. Let's keep reading. So fun. Aren't you glad you came to church? It'll get better, I promise, by the end. <laughs> All right. So the end says, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So not only is it bad enough that you have to stand naked before a mirror that says, this is, this is who you really are. On top of that, you have to give an account to him who you must give an account to everything. Ugh, no, thank you. So the Bible, the reason why the Bible is so important, not only does it tell you who you really are, but the Bible even more so tells us who God really is. Now, I think the best thing about God is that he's invisible, so we can kind of make him into whatever we want. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the God I love. That's the God you love, and just don't mess with me. And that's kind of how we treat life. Like, God's kind of far away, he's distant, and we can, he's invisible, and we can do whatever we want with him. And if you think of it, if you, if you ever, like, laid outside and looked at the stars um, in good old Marin County, right, you can kind of see. Like, I can make out uh, Orion, I can make out the Big Dipper, and that's about it. There's other stars out there, but not so much, right? If you go to like out up to the Sierras, you're like, oh, look at all the stars. It's incredible. But even with the naked eye, there's only so much that we can tell from stars. And in fact, all ancient people from all times have come up with really incredible stories about what stars are because there's obviously something there, but we're not sure, so we tell stories about that. And that's the same with God. God made us in his image. He's given us natural law. So we get a sense of who God is of what God's all about. He's like this distant God that we're kind of trying to navigate. But what's incredible, and if you're a science geek, you're going to love this, right? The Hubble telescope is a telescope that went outside of our atmosphere. And because of the Hubble telescope, it went outside of our atmosphere and could look so much further into the galaxy. And so instead of just having like this blob of light here and this blob of light here, right? If you've ever like Googled pictures of the Hubble telescope and the images, it looks fake. I was looking at this with my son. And my son's like, that's, that's not even real. Like, no, that's what the universe looks like. It is real. It's mind-boggling to think this is where stars are born. And this is like, I don't know all the fancy stuff because I think it's science. I just like the pictures. But it's incredible that that is what's out there. That's who we have to give an account. The Bible, like we have natural law. We have creation. We have all the way the world works. We go, oh, we get a sense of who God is. But Scripture is like the Hubble telescope. It takes us out of the atmosphere and gives us a clearer picture of who God is. 
And that's who we have to give an account. And when we read Scripture and we figure out who God really is, all of a sudden we realize that God is holy and terrifying and powerful and righteous. And he's this consuming fire and really scary. And then there's the other passage of Scripture that God is loving and gracious and kind and slow to anger and patient. You're like, yes, right? And we find out that God's in these, both of these things. He's not just the one thing we want. He's both of these things. But what's even more incredible, the more that we read Scripture, the more we realize that God isn't just this character who's angry and wrathful and holy and righteous and consuming. And he's not just this grandpa who's loving and gracious. When you really study Scripture, you realize that God actually, we get that God loves us, but he actually wants us to love him back. The whole story of Scripture is not how to make God not crush us. The whole story of Scripture is that God actually wants to be in a relationship with us. He actually loves us. I really want to be better at loving my wife. I do. In fact, she's been clear. Ben, if you do this, this, and this, I'll love you. Like, that's how I feel love. I'm like, oh, that doesn't make sense to me, so I'm not going to do it, right? Because she wants to do this, this, and this. Like, that doesn't make sense. And then we get in a fight or something happens. I go, Katie, what do you want? How can I show you I love you? Do this, this, and this. Oh, that doesn't really make sense to me. So I, right? This is our rhythm, back and forth. But then if I do those things, she's like, oh, I feel so loved, right? John Legend, he's like this beautiful uh, songwriter. I'm not romantic. Oh, that's how you love. That's the language of love. Oh, I get it. Okay, so I try these things on. Well, Scripture, that's exactly what Scripture is. Scripture is God's version of a John Legend song. It's like, man, you want to know how to love me? This is how to do it. This is how you love me. And what's wild is in the Psalms, um, one of the Psalms here, it says this, I will, sing of the Lord's, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known. And all the Psalms, like they go, there's just Psalm after Psalm. And there's lots of other ways that we've talked about how we love God. For me, kind of my growing edge, and I've confessed this before, and Michael is bummed at me, but like singing, singing worship's not my thing. The Bible's kind of like too bad. Because apparently, one of the ways that God wants to be loved is when his people gather and we sing and we do worship. And we put a lot of effort into our worship ministry not because we love singing and because the people up here are like, that's our thing, but we do it because one of the clearest ways in Scripture that we love God is through singing, right? We put a lot of effort and, and money and resources behind our ministries at Hamilton and throughout our whole world, right? Because the ways that we love God are to care for the poorest and neediest around us. We don't get to make up what we think God wants and do that thing. So we study Scripture so we know who God is. And so we see that the Word of God is living and powerful, And it truly is because it has the power to actually change us. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Unfortunate sword is pointed straight at us. For it penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, the holy and righteous consuming fire, loving and gracious and merciful God. Everything is laid before his eyes to whom we must give an account. Amen. You feel good? And you're like, oh, geez. Okay, good. Well, so I'm, we're gonna, what we're going to do is actually we're going to study Scripture. And what's so great about Scripture is if, if God was really angry, he'd just put a period right there and be like, see ya, I'm done. But God doesn't do that. He's so gracious to us because he knows how like, insecure we are. The very next line, what does the very next line say in chapter 4, verse 14? The very next word says, 
therefore. Right? So we have this, we have this lead up to this is the word of God. This is what it says about me. This is what it says about God. This is really terrifying. But then he goes on to say, therefore. So what I thought we'd do is we're going to end the sermon and we're actually going to do a Bible study together as a church. And it's going to be awkward. And listen, I get you for 15 more minutes and it's either going to be 15 minutes of awkwardness or you're just going to roll with me, okay? So, so don't, don't leave me hanging like the first service did, okay? So what I need you to do is you're going to take out the Bible if you haven't already. You're going to turn to... Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. You need your phone. You're going to need Google. Make sure you tag me. And uh, when you check your email and Facebook, and, and away we go. So the sermon's over. Praise be to God. We, as a church, are going to do a Bible study just for a few minutes. Um, and I don't have the, the technology up here, but there's a really clever acronym that I want you to write down. It's so clever. It's PROAPT. Huh? Exactly. I have no idea. It doesn't even mean anything. It doesn't spell anything. It's simply the acronym that someone gave me when I was in college, and it stuck with me, and it works really well. There's other clever, clever words, but this one does what I need to do. So on your page, just write P-R-O-A-P-T, PROAPT, okay? And then we do a little Bible study. Are, are, you, are you with me? I know. What are you going to do? You're just not, all right. We're going to try it out. Okay. So here we go. We're going to start a Bible study. And so the first letter of PROAPT is... P. And as good churchy people, a P stands for? Prayer. Ah, oh, see how easy this is. Okay, so let's do this. Let's pray, and we'll do our Bible study. If you guys would hold the Bible out, hold your hands out. God actually wants to speak to us, actually wants to have his way with us. So let's just be open to that. Let's put our hands out, and let's pray. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active. We, got, we ask God that you would reveal more of who you are and more of who we are, and that you would mold and shape us and transform us into your image. Amen and amen. Okay, so here we are, P. So the second letter in PROAPT is? See, so good, you guys are tracking with me. R, okay, and as good churchy people, the R in a Bible study most likely stands for? Read. Okay, so we're gonna do, we're gonna do read the scripture. So what I need is two volunteers who will not read it in a churchy, dramatic voice, but just in a quick voice, because we're just going to zip through this thing. So I need two volunteers. Don't make me call on you, because I will. Okay, sweet. All right, there's one, and then we need one more person. All right, right over there. Okay, so why don't you, if you'd stand up and then read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, 15, and 16. All right, and then you're going to read when she's done, and then we're all going to read together. And I recommend if you do Bible study with somebody in your house, like, that's awkward to make him read with you, but we're going to do it because it's church and it already feels awkward. Okay, so go ahead and stand. And... Yes. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you. All right. Was that you, Jordan? No. Okay. All right. Stand up and read it really loud. But face this way. 14, 15, and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us go firmly to the faith we practice, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize 
Let's just all read it together. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Now, the reason is that we read, um, I think we read it three times, is usually I read it once because I go, phew, I'm done. You read it twice, you're like, okay, maybe I should try to pay attention. The third time, for me, I'm like, okay, I'm actually reading it, right? So we read it. So let's just really quickly, what are a couple words that stood out to you? What are just some words in this passage that you thought, that's interesting, or never thought of that word before? Which one? Confidence. Empathize. Tempted, weaknesses. Mercy. Mercy and grace. Good. Those are all like pretty good English words. You guys are you're tracking. Good. What I thought was interesting is, in fact, take your phone out. Right away it says, therefore, remember we just finished reading this whole passage about we should be horrified about our, our lives. But then it says, therefore, we have this great high priest. Now, for me, I'm even, I mean, I'm a pastor. I went to seminary. I have thousands of dollars worth of books. And I'm like, what's a great high priest do? So did you know that you don't even need to have thousands of dollars worth of books? You just go to Google. All right, so look at Google. Google high priest. All right, and then if you either are a Bible scholar or you want to let me know, what, what does it say when you Google high priest? What do you think? There's some Bible passages, some Wikipedia things. Who wants to be bold and brave? I'm not going to make you read the whole thing. What's a great high priest do? Or what passage of scriptures are associated with great high priest? The internet. <laughs> All right. Well, thankfully, I did some of the work ahead of time. I thought this might happen. So... In Leviticus, it talks about the great high, the, the high priest. And the high priest, and if you look on Wikipedia, what's incredible is Wikipedia tells you everything that all my cool fancy books that smell like seminary smell like. Wikipedia did it all for us. So you just go to Wikipedia, you look at great high priest, and, uh, and the high priest, and you realize that this is what it says. The high priest was the highest religious official in all of Israel. In all of Israel. He was the main Person. And during Yom Kippur, which is the most important Jewish uh, ritual, Jewish day and Jewish ceremony, during Yom Kippur, the high priest, he's the most important religious person. He's actually a political person as well. And on that day, he was the one, the one time in the whole year where he would go into the temple and he would do all these rituals, all this cleansing. He would sacrifice an animal, take the blood, go all the way into the Holy of Holies and make an atoning sacrifice for the people's sins. Once a year, the high priest goes all the way to the Holy of Holies to make an atoning sacrifice for the people's sins. Now, for a good Jewish person, they would know that the high priest was kind of a toolbox. They didn't like him. 
Because the high priest, he was the most religious and important person. He could not be unclean. He could not be dirty. He could not be defiled. And so his whole life, his whole term, he was separate from the people. He didn't experience sin. He didn't experience pain. He didn't experience brokenness because he was fully separate. He was fully other from everybody so that he could then go into the Holy of Holies without getting zapped by God. Right? So all of a sudden, when we do just a little bit of Bible study, we read just a little bit of Wikipedia, all of a sudden, so therefore, we have this great high priest. So who is this Jesus? Jesus is the great high priest. He's the highest religious figure. He's the highest political figure. He's the one who runs into the Holy of Holies, makes a sacrifice, right? His death on the cross is the atoning sacrifice for not just the people of Israel, but for people all time, everywhere, because he ascended into heaven, right? That's like the the fancy biblical way of saying that's his version of going into the Holy of Holies. He goes there, makes an atoning sacrifice. But he's not like those dirtball high priests who can't understand you, who don't get what it's like to be a commoner and struggle with, with sin and brokenness and poverty and hunger, hunger. He gets you, right? So here's, then it goes on to say, he was tempted in every way. So for you, for you good Bible scholars, or you just write Google temptation of Jesus, what are ways that Jesus was tempted? All right, so Jesus went to the wilderness before his ministry. So he's tempted with power and food, and flying, I think, was one of them, right? I don't know how that one works, where he jumps off the temple. I, yeah. Yeah, to defend himself. All right, so he's tempted by the devil for, these, for those really worldly things to prove who he really was. All right, how about this? This is a little bit harder. Is there another time when Jesus was tempted? This is kind of a loose interpretation, but it kind of works. Is there another time when Jesus maybe lost heart or was losing heart? Yeah, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He was going to suffer, the Romans came up with the worst way to kill somebody. And Jesus was going to have to face that. He was freaking out. He was praying, God, if there's any other way. His identity was tempted. His power was tempted. His, his, uh, you know, his, his senses were tempted. He was going to have to experience awfulness. He was tempted in every way and yet never sinned. He can empathize with us in every, every way. So, therefore, what can we do? If that's who Jesus is, what what are we supposed to do? What does the next line say? In, what if I lost my spot? Approach with confidence. Thank you. That we now can approach the confidence. When you think of the word throne, what images come to your mind? When you think of the word throne? King. Big fancy chair. Separate, royalty, power, wealth. I don't know what movie I I saw this in, but whenever I think of the throne, I imagine a long staircase and a throne and then a head rolling down the passageway. (laughs) Like, I think that happened in some movie, right? But it's the throne. The king's up there and he makes some sort of like, this is the rules. And if you mess up, you know, the head comes rolling or whatever. But like, it's scary. You don't just get to hang out in the throne room. You have to like be invited in. And God in his throne room, like you read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Revelation, like the throne room of God is no joke. There's angels flying around and they're singing and there's like burning angels everywhere and there's robes and it's like overwhelming. And everyone who's ever had a glimpse of that or had an angel come see them, they all fall down as dead. I'm going to die. 
That's how huge it is. And yet Jesus says, hold on, because of me, because of what I've done, because I ran into the throne, right, because I did that, you now can come boldly. And when you come boldly, what do you experience? What does it say at the very end? Mercy and grace and help when you need it. That's why Bible study is so rad. If I read that once, I'd be like, oh, sweet, check, I can drink my coffee now. Right? When we do Bible study, though, we get to stop and we get to sit. And all of a sudden, I'm a little less scared to hold the mirror up and realize what a dirtball I am. I'm a little less scared of what God might do to me because he's the great high priest. Right? He gets me. He saved me. He atoned for my sin, and he now gives me access. And not just access like, hey, I'm not going to kill you. He gives me access to come in and experience grace and mercy and help in my time of need. All that, and observe. See that? P, what was that? Pray, R, read, O, observe. And truthfully, I wish I could say I'm so spiritual and I knew all this my whole life. I simply Googled it. I Googled all this stuff and it just sent me on a couple different rabbit trails. And I guess my job, but I had some time to do it. And that's what I came up with. 15 minutes worth of work. It's not hard. We study scripture so that we can know those things. P-R-O-A. A stands for apply. All right? Right, that passage in James. We don't just walk up. We don't just look in the mirror and go, oh, isn't that cool? And then we walk away, right? It's like walking away with your fly down. No, we, we walk up to the mirror and go, oh, what do I do about that now? So for me, I'm just going to share with you what I did today, this week, and that's going to be our thing. If you want to do something different, that's fine. But I would love for you to do this, to simply extend your hands. Recognize that your hands are old and dirty and broken by the wear and tear of all that's happened this week, this month, your whole life. This is the way we're invited to walk in to the throne room of God. So I'm just going to give you one whole minute to think about what do you need Where do you need grace? Where do you need mercy? You have full access to the throne room of God. What is it that you need? Let's just be quiet for a minute. In our fancy acronym, PROAPT, we have P-R-O-A, one more P. In a good church world, what does that P stand for? Pray. pray. Yeah, just pray. Simple, right? So let me just pray for us. Thank God for our little time, and then we'll wrap things up here in just a minute. God, thanks for our time. Amen. See? Nice and simple. Here's the deal. Bible study is deep and transformative and super spiritual. We're also normal people with normal lives with kids who ruin our lives. My stuff, you're not your stuff. Work that ruins our lives, whatever. We all have stuff. 
And if we keep waiting for the moment when we can go up on the hill and have the quiet moment and do it all right, we're going to miss all that God has for us. So let's just carve out some time, do a dumb acronym, and just engage. And if you even just engage a little bit here and a little bit here, try a couple times a week, once a week. Those little things all add up where God actually molds us and shapes us and transforms us. P-R-O-A-P. Last T is this. Tell. Super simple, but there's something intuitive and true about all humans that when you take whatever's going on in your head and you get it out of your mouth, it solidifies it. It makes it like real. There's a reason why like people pay lots of money to go to counselors. They have all this stuff in their head. Someone, they get all that stuff out of their head that gets out of their mouth. It's like, oh. like it's, there's a way forward, right? James says, when we confess our sins to each other, you'll be healed. Like it's just, it's just the way God made us. We are made to be in relationship. We're made to tell. So I would just encourage you that on your way home today, in your car, or at some point, find someone and just say, man, today at church, I blah, blah, blah. That's it. Super simple. You don't want to overwhelm them and, you know, because that'd be awkward. Then you'll never do it again. So just try it. Simple to tell. And by doing that, then you can be formed and make space for the Holy Spirit to have all that he has for us.